Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You're tuned tuned into It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, the top podcast covering the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast. We are back. It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, how you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. That well, I think, is correct. <laughs> yeah, no, well is, well is, yeah. You know, it's crazy. We were talking off the air. We're, I'm a little tired. I thought it was Monday at this point in the week, and it's Tuesday. You get that Sunday night football. Cincinnati goes to the Super Bowl, so you get all these primetime games this season. And when I was a kid, I loved primetime football. I thought it was the coolest thing because it didn't happen in Cincinnati a lot when it came back here in 2004. Huge deal, Monday night football, Sunday night football. Then we remember the bad years because we talked about those in last week's podcast. I'm just not a fan of primetime football. It's both um, getting older, having a job you have to do after most of these. But also, I think it's a little bit of... uh, when you cover uh, enough to do a podcast, you you don't get to just like, I don't know, do nothing after something like that. It's like, no, after that night game, you have to be up till like 1 a.m. <laughs> recording podcasts and writing and stuff. So I think that also makes it worse not to be like a woe is me type thing with like, oh, no, my first world problem. I have to go write about this thing I like. But uh, yeah, I I, I think uh, I, I'm not as big of a fan of Pride Time as I used to be, but oh, we Hey, you said it off the air. It's time for power rankings of the of the games. We both agree, though. One o'clock on a Sunday. That's number one. 
I mean, so I have two reasons why I like a 1 p.m. And I also like 4 p.m. But 1 p.m. is going to go number one for me in the power rankings because that September, October day, even December, now January, we get regular season games. You get that one o'clock game. When you get a dub, it's bonus points because you get to enjoy the four o'clock game, Sunday night football, then you go into Monday night football. 1 p.m. is absolutely perfect football viewing, watching. 4 p.m., I'm a fan of that too because you're not waiting all day for your team to kick off. If it's a home game, you get down there around 12, 1.30, go tailgate, enjoy the atmosphere. Sunday night football is miserable. And it, it's not it's not even about the game. Even if they would have won, I would have said this is the terrible kickoff time because you wake up for Monday, the work week. We are adults. We have to go into the work world. Monday night football, I would put that three because you get your Monday over with. Some people will take off Tuesdays, use a vacation day. But that's kind of exciting while you're at work. Thursday night football, maybe maybe I'm putting Thursday above. I'm mixing myself up. I'm just going 1 p.m. is the number one power ranking, then 4 p.m. Thursday night football, Monday night football, Sunday night football is the absolute worst. I think I agree with your order. I'm trying to think. Okay, so definitely 1 o'clock is my number one. Um, I think the only way, the only issue I have is in the dead of winter, if you have to like shovel snow and stuff, uh, when the game, when the game's over, it's dark. <laughs> that makes it worse. Like by 4 PM, it's dark around here. So that sucks. And then you have to go shovel in the dark. Meanwhile, if I have a four o'clock game and I got shovel snow, this is like a weird niche issue with the door, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if I got a shovel snow, and I have a four o'clock game. Those one o'clock games aren't getting washed right away. I'm just going to do it then. It's the warmest. It's like 10 degrees instead of negative four. I don't know. It's, it's fine. Like, I don't know. The weird issue of like, it's not dark after the game's done. That's my thing with like in the winter, by the time the game's done, your day's over almost because you can't go outside for the most part, other than just like do a couple things. Meanwhile, if I, if the game's at four, then you could do things up until four. Although I do love vegetating and just absorbing all the games from 1 p.m. until 11 o'clock at night. And sometimes 9 a.m. Oh, we didn't throw it in there. I the know. London, the London game. But yeah, for the ones that are that we have listed, Sunday 1 o'clock is number one. Sunday 4 o'clock is number two. And then I'm definitely a Thursday night because there's nothing better than already requesting the Friday off. And for writing purposes and stuff it's like a mini bye week <laughs> it's like oh i get to relax this week uh it can work slower than normal monday I, monday i think might be worse because it feels like it shortens the week so i think i'll go monday uh i think i'll go sunday as my number four and then monday night as my number five my least favorite although with the manning cast maybe it will move up because i do love that so i will say monday night football will change in Cincinnati, or I'll feel better about it if that Bills game really means something in January in Cincinnati. Then that's going to move up my power rankings because imagine that day at work. It's the second to last regular season game. It's at Paycor Stadium. Sports gambling is legal if anybody likes that stuff. It's going to be at Paycor Stadium. You get that whole entire day to think seating, AFC, playoffs, can they beat Josh Allen? What's this defense going to look like? So much is going to happen between now and January 2nd. So maybe we're not in that mindset. But I, I would say if your team is good and it's late in the season, Monday Night Football moves up in my power rankings. 
so you hate waiting, but then you have Monday above Sunday. Like you have to wait an entire two days for that now. No, 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 no. The reason why I have Monday night football and Thursday night football ahead of Sunday night football, not because like we obviously get football all day. You get a 1 p.m. game, you get a 4 p.m. game. Sometimes you get a 9.30 game with the London game. But when you're at work, it's a Monday and your team is good. I mean, you're just like, this is great. I'm I'm just gliding through. I'm going to get through this work day. Maybe I'll have Tuesday off. Maybe I won't, but it's bonus points if your team is good. Monday night football. I would say liking that. And then Thursdays, Thursday football, Thursday night football is good in September. Other than that, I don't want it. And it has to be home. I think whatever. I'm fine with Thursday night, whatever. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not local though. So like a lot of this for me is watching TV type stuff. I go to games now for going to games. I, yes. I think I have all the prime times up high because tailgating at five and six and drinking in a parking lot is way better than drinking in a parking lot at 11 o'clock. <laughs> well, I should have said, I should have put you, like, you needed your mindset needed to change. You needed to be in Cincinnati when thinking of these primetime games. And the team has to be good. Okay, if I'm in Cincinnati and say I'm going to the game, uh, Sunday is probably third. I think Monday would be number one and Thursday number three. Honestly, it almost flips completely because then I probably would still prefer four. And then one o'clock is probably my least favorite, even though it's the most common, just because uh, I'm, I want to have a good time when I'm hanging out, going to the game. And then <laughs> if, if, I, if I'm drunk by 4 p.m., <laughs> by 2 p.m., <laughs> the day is shot. I'm having a good time, but I don't know what's going to happen. See, I love that we – so here's the thing. We had our topics before the show started. We usually throw those in the day of. Um, and there's always plenty to talk about in season. I threw this power rankings at Mike right before we started recording, and it lasted about eight minutes. So I'm very. We're not impressed. done. Okay. London oh, games. Oh. London games. Where do they fall? No, London games are the worst. And <laughs> the no, worst. No, no, no offense to to London. I love London. I I went to London once in my life. I went to a Spice Girls concert, and it was absolutely amazing at Wembley Stadium. Uh, I really liked that experience, but. I would say if you're not at the London game, it's not that great. Because what happens if your team loses at the, the 9.30 kickoff game and then you get 1 p.m., 4 p.m., and 8.30? You're just bummed the rest of the day. Yeah, that's a that's a good go mow the lawn right after type thing. You know, just uh, well, that sucked. They just go do other things and don't even watch. <laughs> but if they win, you're just like, ah, that was great. Let's watch some football. I don't know. I like the London games probably from home. Mm-hmm. it would probably go above the prime time for me i'd still prefer it just like i don't know i don't like being at home for prime time games they just they're not my favorite thing to wait around and watch on tv nick we will put these in uh didn't include his london but he says one o'clock is the best i agree when i'm watching tv one o'clock is definitely the best sunday night football number two monday night football number three interesting Four o'clock, number four, and Thursday night, number five. Nick, you can come on and explain this because I am interested in the big difference between one o'clock and four o'clock here. Yeah, you're putting Sunday night football at number two? Why? How? I just, I like waiting all day for Sunday night. I mean, that might be me. That might be me. But also four o'clock just feels like a weird spot where it's like, okay, the one o'clock games are happening. It's not quite the night game. It just doesn't leave enough time on either end. So that's why I have a... Sunday night up there at two and four o'clock, a little bit further back. 
I agree. It doesn't leave much time on either end. Although uh, a lot of times, like at four o'clock, that is uh, that is I can do yard work until four, and I will just ignore those one o'clock games. But yeah, I was just I was just really interested. What's the difference between what's what's the big difference between one and four o'clock that you have to say? One's your, one's your number one, and the other one's your number four. Also, four o'clock, people hate him. I like getting the A crew of like Tony Romo. <laughs> I think he's great. I just I know I think people got tired of him, but I still enjoy listening to that guy. I think he knows what he's talking about. But uh, Thursday night football is your worst. Where do you put London? He left. <laughs> the wrong button. I would put London last, though, just because it doesn't happen very often. And usually I have work to do on Sunday morning, so I can't really watch them. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm just getting the day started. I'm watching Countdown right around that time. And then I remember that football's on. So it's fair. Oh, you usually have the fiasco of like, how do we get this game? <laughs> or at least if you're an out-of-market person, because like it's only on NFL Network and then the NFL app sucks. Yeah, that that's a whole nother segment for how bad the NFL app is. But uh, but no, I mean, I I can see where Nick's coming from. I definitely don't agree with Sunday Night Football. I I really didn't realize how much I didn't like Sunday Night Football until they played, and that was before the game started. I definitely said it before. You can read my timestamps. Um, I would have felt the same way even if they would have won the game. But I, you you mentioned Tony Romo, and I know how people feel about him, but I will say this. Tony Romo will always hold a special place because of those two games that he called in Cincinnati with Kansas City last year and then the AFC Championship game. I'll, I'll, I, I'll always be a fan. It feels like everybody's very mad that he's so over the top in love with Mahomes, but he's also over the top in love with literally everybody. Like that's Jamar the whole thing. Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, all these guys, he's like screaming over them. The cool thing about Tony Romo is he gets so excited for everybody. It's just <laughs> like, he's just like loves football. Now, I don't know when he does like a Cowboys game, maybe it does lean a little bit more towards them. But like, I, I don't know, especially these AFC games, which he usually does as a CBS guy. It's like, yeah, he just, he just loves good football. And that's fine. He's going to love Patrick Mahomes. He's yeah. going to love Joe Burrow. He's going to love Jamar Chase. He's going to love everybody that's really good at football. He's going to get excited. So I'm embarrassed to say that I listen to the Super Bowl call, let's say a couple times a month, just because sometimes I'm like, man, this season's not really going that great. I want to listen to the Super Bowl call because that was still so surreal. And when he talks about Evan McPherson, when he goes out there, he's like, I bet he told him we're, I'm going to make the kick and we're going to go to the Super Bowl. And he just, he does. He just gets so excited about it. And when the kick went in, he was, you would have thought Tony Romo was a former Cincinnati Bengals. So I'm, I'm all for Tony Romo and the excitement. I obviously um, get a little too excited too sometimes. So, uh, so I like uh, it, but yeah. I did not expect this first segment to go 13 minutes talking about prime the entire time. segment. Yeah. If you hate uh, all these opinions, tweet them at me <laughs> at Bengals underscore Sands. Um, yes, I, I am a Tony Romo fan and I am uh, not a fan of watching primetime on television. Yeah. And I'm okay to admit that it's not a popular opinion. I know people love primetime because they want everybody to talk about their team. But when people are watching, if you look on social media, some of the national people, because obviously if Sunday Night Football is on, everybody's watching it. I follow a lot of football accounts. I would say 80% of my Twitter who I follow is, is NFL and they will tweet about things during the game because they don't watch this team all season. And then all of a sudden they're like, this guy's bad. This guy's bad. Their offensive line is bad. I'm like, oh yeah, you're, you're casual. You haven't been watching that much this season. So uh, it's a love, it's a love hate. I, I don't need the national attention to watch the Cincinnati Bengals to be like, 
yeah, I'm so glad everybody can see them play, especially this season. I don't care about the national attention. No, I, in fact, usually it's bad. Usually, usually it is kind of uninformed type of like, I just watched this game. That guy was bad type stuff. Or like, I just watched this game and why aren't you using this guy more? He did all this or whatever. It's just like, to me, it's very much whatever, dude. It, it, the one o'clock games, that's where the real ones are. You know, that's what they're real talking That's the where they the day ones, the ones that are actually watching and understand like the teams that are playing when it's the national games, it is a lot of uninformed, I guess, casual opinions about each team, not even just the Bengals. I mean, like the other team too, it'll be like, I'll watch it. I'll be like, ah, I don't really see what you're talking about. They're like, no, oh, you just didn't have a good play type thing. I don't know. Whole segment on the times and when the best football is played in the NFL. So Riveting. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of opinions. If you hate this, tweet at me. Yeah, if you hate this, please tweet us. We'll know you listen to the podcast if you tweet us about primetime games and kickoffs and your rankings. Go ahead and send them to us. We would love to hear about it, read about it on social media. Make sure you're following along at LNDS Patterson, Bengals underscore Sands. You would have thought with this first segment, Cincinnati hasn't won a game all season because we're already moving on to power <laughs> rankings and kickoff. There's still plenty to get to. Believe me, we want to talk about it all. We're going to get to that next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Uh, we we got to talk about... I feel bad because when we recorded the podcast after the game, I feel like I had a lot of emotions about how it went because we did record maybe 15 minutes after the game ended. And I always feel like after a loss, you're you're bummed about it and you think about all the terrible things that went wrong. Then you get Monday and you're like, I'm still bummed about it and I'm tired. And then you get Tuesday and you're like, okay. You, you've already watched the tape. You're moving on to Wednesday. Oh, is this team going to bounce back and, and beat the Saints? You know, what do they need to fix? What did it look like when you watch the tape after watching the game in real life? But I'm going to gloss over this just a little bit because it's been a hot topic, and we did talk about it on Sunday's podcast, the play calling. And I will say this. After the game, I was like, terrible call. I can't believe you didn't go with Joe Mixon. You need to get into the end zone. Don't do any Philly special, like just, just get it done. Stop beating yourselves. You can make it simple. You're losing to your own team. Sometimes make better decisions. 
Zach Taylor did talk about that because he was asked about play calling, if that was something that maybe he would move on from and, and maybe someone else in the building helped make that decision. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that was the whole point from Joe Daneman of Fox 19. And Zach pretty much just said there, he listed all the people, um, all the offensive staff you could think of that listen to the plays and, you know, the outcome would probably be the same. I'll say this. They're not bringing in another offensive mind in October. They're just not going to uh, maybe another NFL team would, and maybe it works for Philly when their head coach doesn't call the plays and he's not playing the offensive coordinator. We don't know if Brian Callahan, if he were to get the sole play calling in the offensive room and just be the offensive coordinator and Zach can focus on locker room culture, not worrying about plays, worrying about time management, all of the other stuff. We don't know if Brian Callahan would be better. We don't know if Brian Callahan has more of a say on some of the calls that are happening. Of course, at the end of the game, Zach's going to take the blame and be like, it's my fault, 100% my fault why we ran that. We didn't just run the ball in, all of that stuff he'll say after the game. But I think everybody's just so, like, he's terrible. He's he's not a good play caller, and this person would be better. We don't know that. It's the potential of the unknown where the unknown commodity is better in your mind because you just want change. And that change isn't going to be drastic. He's not coming in and installing a whole new scheme. Nobody is coming into this offense. Joe Brady, even if he walks through that door, isn't going to install the 2019 LSU offense in a week or whatever. I think that might be one of the biggest disconnects is you have to practice all this stuff a ton. And it's not so much Madden where you go, nah, that playbook sucks. Let me try this one. And then you just call those plays and everybody runs it perfectly. If the receivers aren't used to running these plays, if the quarterback isn't used to running these plays, if the offensive line isn't used to running those plays, running back's not used to it, it's not going to be able to be run very well. And they're probably not going to be able to execute it at all. So you run with the plays that are installed. You can install stuff over time, but it's little stuff. And I think that we're seeing finally the run game that they knew has been an issue since week one finally start to change a whole scale scheme change to stuff that they run, but they're making that the priority now rather than some of the secondary stuff. So I think that's the type of timeline you're talking about when you're talking about all these different concepts, throwing them in there. If if you can't see, see when last year or the year before the Bengals have run those concepts, then they're, they're not just going to get thrown right in. The Whatever you guys think the Vikings are doing, which I watched and was a little underwhelmed by them, quote-unquote, scheming Jefferson open, uh, I they can't just throw that right in unless you have seen the Bengals run that concept because they haven't practiced it. And even if you practice it, it could end up looking like the shovel option. That's what it looks like when these teams are just throwing stuff in there that they see or the Philly special where it looks like a disaster. Yeah. I, I, you mentioned the run game. And if someone would have told me the run game is really going to get going against Baltimore on Sunday night football, Joe Mixon is going to turn it around. I would have said, nah, I don't see it happening. And, and I would have thought T Higgins was going to be playing in the game, but obviously knew he was limited in practice. What did you think of the run game as a whole when you went back to watch the tape? Awesome. My favorite part of the game, to be honest. Um, so they made a, a lot of changes. So there's basically two schools of thought when it comes to running the ball zone and gap and zone is what they were trying to do. There's a lot of this wide zone stuff that's running on the angle. It's running sideways, moving guys sideways, displacing what well, I usually hear it described as, and what I would describe it as is moving the front 
you know, your front six, front seven, whatever, laterally, and the running back makes his cut off of what's there. I always think of it as uh, it's kind of like jazz, and your offensive line is playing the percussion, and then your running back, he can see what's going on and hit his solo. Uh, You know, the running back's a saxophonist or Louis Armstrong, and he sees the opening of these percussion guys like, oh, that's a good beat. I'm going there. (laughs) You know, I'm going to play this solo. Uh, type thing it, but in reality you get your reads you read the leverage of the defender but that's just a fun way to think about it is that like they are the offensive line and the blockers are kind of the stabilizing force and the running back is able to choose off of that where he's going because he could go backside front side or through the middle when it comes to these gap plays it's much more defined think of that more like your classical music where you are supposed to do this or jazz is like I could do whatever I want as long as I'm playing within the music within the beat of this music. Where your gap stuff, it's downhill. That's one of the bonuses. It's downhill quick. The offensive line doesn't have to run sideways and get downfield and block linebackers on the run and show that they have limited athletes there. They're running downhill. They're showing power. That's where Law Collins. That's what he's made to do is just run these guys over. Alex Kappa, same thing. Cordell Volson. This is where he shines. The guys that were better at zone, definitely Jonah and maybe Karis. He's fine at both. But you got three guys that are maulers, and the other guys, they're not bad at gap. They're fine. So you've got now got at least five fine blockers at this scheme, and three of them, that's where they excel. So that's why I think the scheme works so much better, and you've got these defined reads, whether it's trap, duo, iso. The running back has this read. I'm going here unless this happens specifically or like you don't go backside usually um on these plays like you don't cut it back you can go forward or you can bounce and you have to get a specific read for that rather than just reading leverage so that's a lot to say just they're getting downhill on these runs they're playing all this gap scheme now and it fits the offensive line better i don't know if it fits Mixon better but it gets him downhill quicker and uh it lets him be more violent which i know he likes to do do you see him do you see this team being able to do this going against the Saints and just kind of keep this run game going so you can finally get something going to balance this offense out? Oh, I'm annoyed by liking this run game so much because the Saints have a really good run defense. <laughs> so I'm going to say all this stuff that like, yeah, this run game's good now. And then it's like, oh, they're running into a hard <laughs> they, they, they a good game. They're running into a hard spot. I love so many of these Saints defenders. Um, we'll we'll start David Onyamata is very good. Cam Jordan is still a run-stopping specialist on one side. You've got all these guys, even like the guys you don't really know that well, like your Carl Grandersons and your Shy Tuttles. They're still good run players. Pete Werner, Werner, a little bit of a maniac. He wears a 20 as a linebacker. That's an insane move. But then also go with that, he is like head first and everything. The Saints are so fun with how they fit the run because they're so aggressive. And the Bengals are kind of the opposite or the conservative. I'm not saying either one of these is right, but what the Saints like to do is to open things up and fire these maniac linebackers. And my favorite player, one of my favorite players in the league that's not a Bengal is Demario Davis. He's a linebacker for the Saints. You might not heard of him. I think he's one of the most underrated linebackers in the league. What he has made almost a career out of is when gaps open up when they're blocking, 
he sprints through there and he just mauls the running back. He looks like the predator too. Cause he's got the long dreads and he's just like, <laughs> there's one play. He like jumped up. was like flying at a guy. I was like, Oh goodness. He, he looks like a movie, like a movie villain, but uh, it's so cool. And I like the way they play the run. I think the way to attack them is through the air, but we can get to that uh, on Thursday for the Friday pod. But I, I don't know if they're going to be able to continue it against them. I think it should be better than I expected going into this week. Cause I just like the scheme changes. And I think Mixon looks more healthy than he did the past since week one. I thought week one, he looked pretty good despite whatever it said. And then since then, I think we've all thought Mixon doesn't look right. He's falling down a lot. He looks a little bit slower. He gets that mini buy. He looks better. I think the run game as a whole just looks better and um, might not see it this week but i think it's like the falcons and the browns this is something they can use to really attack them i think you know confidence can grow from that and as you mentioned maybe it's not sunday but going forward there's still plenty of football left for the run game to get going and maybe that mini by did wonders and i know he had a meeting with some of the offensive linemen before the thursday night game and communication helps um i think that's extremely important to be able to work on that as they got back to work last week we'll go to the wide receiver room right now jamar chase Joe Burrow, it's very head-scratching, and, and you go back and watch the tape when you're forcing to Jamar. Jamar's getting double, quadrupled teams sometimes. What's going on with this two, the, the two of these guys right now? Yeah, teams are just really focused on Jamar Chase, and they want to really limit explosive plays from the Bengals as well. I will also say just the caveat at the start of this, I thought the plan early was fine, and I think that Jamar Chase needs to – play better on those. Um, he's getting in space one-on-one -on -one with Marcus Peters and I need Jamar Chase to win that. And he wasn't winning that. Um, I know Marcus Peters coming downhill fast. I just feel like Jamar Chase, if you told anybody before the game, Hey, Jamar Chase will be one-on-one -on -one with Marcus Peters with a chance to get an explosive play. You go awesome. <laughs> but Peters made that play like three times and it's just, uh, I need him to be better, but I also need the Bengals to be able to get him on the move in space a little bit more as well. So a little bit of both. Uh, I I think the issue, like the run game used to be, I used to keep saying it was threefold, running back offensive line and the scheme they're running. This one, I don't – it is still a, a little bit of everything. I would say Jamar Chase, for the most part, is receiver, getting open and stuff. I think he still looks good doing all that. I wanted to see more after the catch on Sunday. I think the scheme does kind of limit him some, especially when T's out. They don't get him on everything I want, but the defense gets paid too, and they're really focused on him. So really to me, the way to free up Jamar Chase and to get Joe Burrow and this passing offense cooking is to make that defense come up because they are backing the heck out of there. They are playing like 25 yards deep on the snap. It's really respectful to the Bengals offense to say, we are not allowing an explosive play. We will play prevent. But then the Bengals aren't taking advantage of that with what everybody yells about when they watch TV is like, why are you letting them throw all these 10-yard passes? It's like, the Bengals, why aren't you throwing all these 8- to 10-yard passes <laughs> that are there? They're trying to force it downfield a little bit too much. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. If you have to dink and dunk all the way down the field, do it. Get a drive going. If, if they're not going to give up the big play, get it 8 to 10 yards out to your receivers. And speaking of receivers, 
Zach Taylor was talked about it. And a lot of people want to know if T Higgins is out right now, he's day to day to be determined. If he plays, he tried to give it a go on Sunday night football and his ankle didn't feel ready to go. And I think that's a smart move by Cincinnati and his training staff, because that's a long-term situation. If, if he can't go, you don't want to push it early. You need T Higgins out there. This offense without T Higgins, not ideal. Um, I, I would say not to, you know, use injuries as an excuse. If he was in that game, I, I have a really good feeling that they walk away with the win in Baltimore. Uh, but unfortunately, you're going to be dealing with that this week as they get back to practice on Wednesday. But as of now, he is day to day. Why is Tyler Boyd not getting more reps out there, getting more shots? Ah, man. He's the one that I really think they're all there's all this talk about how you get Jamar Chase schemed open. What I think they really need to do against these shells they're facing is get Tyler Boyd one on one with these linebackers and stuff. He is basically a slot only type player, and that's fine. He's really, really good at his job. But when you're asking what Jamar Chase is in the slots, because Tyler Boyd's there on all these two by two sets and they don't want to put him outside because he's less effective there. But let's utilize him to his full effectiveness. And the way I think you can do this is get him working in the intermediate middle of the field. These, all these coverages these people are running have linebackers that are trying to cover that middle of the field area. They don't have safeties there. They don't have corners there. So attack those linebackers. There's two concepts I think of with Tyler Boyd. There's a drive levels type thing where you're going to send Hayden Hurst on about a 12 yard in route and Tyler Boyd's on like a five, six yard drag route underneath. If you, if the linebackers come up, you throw it over to Hayden Hurst. If they drop back, then you hit Tyler Boyd underneath. It's just, that should be hammered while they're dropping back this far because you're going to get Boyd six yards every single play. And then the other one I think of is running weak choice. Just on the backside of other concepts they like that are working to the outside. They like sail. They like flood, all these things to the outside. So get him on weak choice to the other side where he's going to be one-on-one -on -one with whoever's in front of him. And he can either run a slant or he can run it out. And this is what Michael Thomas and Cooper Cup love. They ran this all the time. And I think Mike Hilton actually talked about how, oh, yeah, that Cooper Cup, weak choice. That's his favorite route. Make it Tyler Boyd's favorite route because he's a good short area guy and he's smart. So he could do that too. So it's slant if he's outside of you. It's out if he's inside of you, usually with a little bit of sauce. All right, get Tyler Boyd. Feed Tyler Boyd against the Saints. Get the run game going maybe after the Saints to be determined on what that looks like because <laughs> – I'll be completely honest with you and, and look, not any insider knowledge on this, but I'll be surprised if T Higgins goes on Sunday. I, I think they're going to be extra cautious with T. Um, as I mentioned, there's still plenty of season left. And I, I think you want to take it easy until that ankle feels it's never going to be 100%, but you want him to feel like the old T Higgins or, or even what you saw in previous games with him. So be, to be determined on, on if T goes, but we'll have more on that for Thursday's podcast. I want to talk a little more about the offensive line quarterback Joe Burrow and the Stevens after you watch the tape next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Offensive line. As I mentioned, I think a lot of people watch that game. They see it. They're like, oh, Joe Burrow needs protection. The offensive line is still really bad. If you're not a casual, because we've watched plenty of that offensive line play in Cincinnati in the last two weeks, offensive line has looked a little better. What did the tape show? Offensive line was, uh, I want to say, pretty good. Um, um, 
I think my favorite performance maybe of the year is what Jonah Williams is able to do. So first it comes with the results. He shuts out Adafi Owe and doesn't give up a quarterback hit, doesn't give up a sack and doesn't give up a pressure. It's like a perfect game as an offensive lineman in pass protection. Gets a 80 plus whatever from PFF that I know people care a, a lot about that. But when you watch the process as well, he got injured. <laughs> he had the limp off of the field in, I think, the first or second quarter. It was early in the game. It might have been the second quarter. But he has to limp off of the field. He's laying on the ground. I was just praying it wasn't like uh, a season ender. Instead, he comes back. So I think the next drive, that one got down the field. Uh, let's see, there was whatever. It doesn't matter. That I think it's the next drive. He's in there. And it's just such an inspired effort to still be able to be able to pitch this shutout. He had a great game going. He gets hurt. He comes back in and he just looks as good as he did before he left. And I know that knee is probably in pain. So he's probably in pain, but he's fighting through it. And he's pitching a shutout. I loved it. And he leveled this one guy on a pass on a pass protection rep. I love that too. His guy leaves and he sees Volson blocking guy one-on-one and he goes, that slab of ribs looks nice. <laughs> he just takes it out. I absolutely love it. But, but I mean, if you honestly, if you look at the last couple weeks, you go to Sunday night football, you go, you go to Thursday night football, the, the mini buy, then they come back and just kind of getting into the swing of things. We've talked about it on this podcast. We had Duke Manyweather on after week one. And he said right around week five, week six, they're hitting into week six right now. And, and maybe it did just take a little time for this offensive lineman. We talked about Lyle Collins and maybe that back injury is something that he'll just play with the rest of the season. The Bengals are doing exactly what we thought they would do. He's going to get Wednesday vet days off and um, be questionable probably throughout the week, but more than likely always go when they kick off on Sundays. So any other things that really stood out about this offensive line? Mention him, Lyle Collins. Um, this is the best game he played. He, every game before this, he would fall on the ground like 75% of the time. I don't know if it was the back, just like blocking, blocking, ah, my back. <laughs> just fall down. He also was diving a little bit, just like, I know I can't sustain this. So I'm just gonna give this last effort, dive out and push this guy. Instead, he's able to stay upright. He's able to block well. He gave up a sack, but he isn't where he needs to be, but he doesn't look like a liability if that makes sense. Like he didn't look like a liability in the game against the Ravens. He wasn't getting beat repeatedly like he was against Micah Parsons or even what Jacob Martin did to him. I know Martin didn't get a sack, but Jacob Martin was able to beat him repeatedly on that side to the point where it's like, we got to send chip help to Lyle because he's not moving well enough to block this guy against uh, Jason Pierre Paul, who I thought was pretty good last year and was fine. He got a sack pretty good in this game. I, I don't think this was uh, just, you know, a guy with no gas left in the tank. Like he came in and he looked pretty good. Not great, not pro bowl, but like a solid starting edge rusher, or at least a starting level one. And he did pretty well other than the sack. Like I know he gives up the sack and he gives up. Uh, it happens. He's just, he's still not hundred percent, but I would say if he was like at 60% before he's more at like 75 now. And it just looks like, the back isn't as much of an issue. He's a little bit quicker. He's not falling down and he's able to hold his blocks. So it was the best game he had. It was the best game Jonah had. Two guys that I know are getting hammered. They were even getting hammered on this podcast a little bit, at least early in the season. 
yeah. about you need these guys to play better. They played better. And they were not the issue with the offense. So, and I think the run game is helping Collins a lot because this is what he does well. Yeah. Well, you're just talking about Jonah Williams. Uh, when he left, I thought when he was on the ground, I'm like, no, no, because we have hammered Jonah Williams because you expect more out of him at left tackle. And he was struggling early, but seems to be bouncing back just a little bit. Right now, he's dealing with an MCL sprain, and that's different for everybody. And nobody really knows how it's going to react throughout the week. If he's going to be good to go on Sunday, as of now, Zach Taylor did talk to the media on Monday, said he's day to day. I don't expect him to practice much this week, but again, we'll get the injury report when we're back on the podcast on Thursday. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say overall if you've watched enough Bengals football and the protection for Joe Burrow this offensive line deserves some credit right now they deserve credit this is the best performance uh, an offensive line unit has probably had for Burrow in quite some time so and they were able to get to some of these intermediate type stuff it wasn't always there but it's not like Burrow would drop back five steps and then there'd be pressure he had to avoid once in a while but that's just that's just the you know, it's not the great wall of Dallas. It is still just a pretty good to, you know, at least, I don't know, average, above average offensive line, whatever you want to think of. I'd say a, a good performance from them. And um, I don't know. I, they're not getting enough credit for moving guys in the run game. They did a good job there. Even on the plays that didn't work, it would be because my guy, Stanley Morgan, uh, wasn't able to crack block Odafe Owe, which is a tall task. First of all, let's get that out of the way. But yeah, like it, it would be like a wide receiver or a tight end missed a block or couldn't hold up. It wasn't the offensive line as much. There were still plays, but you know, it wasn't them. It wasn't, I've talked about, I think this offensive line early in the year, they would just completely whiff or they'd miss assignments on these blocks. And I do think of what Duke said, where it's six weeks or so. And we're thinking, we've been seeing this incremental growth. So it's getting to a point where we thought they might be when we were talking about them on paper, Collins still isn't there, but the rest of it I think is about there and the communication's better. Everything's better. I just think they deserve credit. I don't know. I They play well. We have to treat them with respect because when they don't play well, I know they hear about it. They do. And and like I said, I think a lot of people watching that game earlier were like, oh, this is a terrible offensive line. You got to No, no, you, you got to watch the tape and, and credit to the offensive line, credit to uh, this unit because it is deserved. We'll move to quarterback Joe Burrow because I'm not hammering him. Joe, Joe always gives you a shot. If you have Joe Burrow in the game, you're always going to have a shot. Obviously, he leads him down the field. They score a touchdown. And uh, there was just too much time on the clock for Justin Tucker, who's a Hall of Famer. And he one of the things that, that stood out for me personally in Joe's performance, he did okay. I would say he did okay. I'll, I'll let you give your opinion in just a moment. But he throws that interception. And he said he didn't see Patrick Queen. And the thing about Patrick Queen, he's not having the best of season, so I'm not going to give him credit for getting the interception. I think Joe straight up threw him the ball. And a lot of people are like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing there? What did you think of Joe's performance? I thought it was fine. I, now, to explain that play, they run one of my favorite concepts, Dagger. But you have to do um, something with Dagger here, at least in the modern NFL. What it is is it's a, a – you get – a guy running down the seam or the middle of the field, whatever you want to call it down the middle of the field. And he's going to clear out whatever's there. And you have a 15 or so yard in route on coming from outside. The Bengals 
uh, motion chase to do this. They motion him over, and then he runs the dig route. I think it was Hurst on the seam. Could have been somebody else, but I think it was Hurst. And what you're missing here is something underneath. You need that thing underneath to hold these defenders so that Patrick Queen – and they all dropped like 15 yards on the snap. They came up a tiny bit on the run, then they turned around and ran to get behind all these concepts because they know what's coming, and there's nothing underneath to hold them there. It should be a three-level um, stretch. So you have your deep ball that usually doesn't get thrown unless there's a bust or you really like the matchup. You have a speed guy there. Like if Chase was on it, maybe you look at it a little bit more. That's usually not thrown, though. That's usually the clear out for the dig. And the dig is usually what's thrown here. It's your first read. It's your primary read. Usually your primary read's going to work. But if the linebackers don't respect anything underneath and they all drop deep, then you've got the guy, the next guy down. So you're looking deep, middle, shallow. And they just hit the shallow because these linebackers have dropped the heck out of there. And they did that. And you, they put Mixon in the flat. And I think that's fine. But you want to have him in the middle of the field to me just because that makes it an actual one-to-one read where linebackers are deep. I'm going to hit him underneath. Linebacker came up. I'm going to hit it over the top. Meanwhile, the flat, maybe Burrow is thinking like, well, maybe the corner came down or maybe something – I don't know. What I think happened is he thought that the linebacker, he came up on the play, and then I think he thought the linebacker would take Mixon in the flat. And then he saw uh, Bynes a little bit too far over to the right, and he's like, let me fit this into T. Or not T. That's usually who's on that dig route, but it was Chase. Let me fit this into Jamar. And then as he's throwing it, it's probably like we've all done on Madden where we – hit the button and let go real quick. <laughs> it's like, Oh no <laughs> type thing. Or he's already throwing it and it's too late. By the time he sees it, it's just like, an, Oh crap. As the ball's being released because he, the play didn't go exactly as he thought it would go pre-snap because I don't think Burrow is super comfortable with turning his back to the defense and then turning around and throwing the ball like some quarterbacks are. So Joe's going to be just fine. Wasn't what just just a bad mistake. But other than that, I mean, he he was okay. But I think some of his post game comments were like, "Look, we don't, we can't, we can't do this, or we can't do this." And and maybe that was just an instant reaction after the game, after a loss like that on Sunday Night Football. That you know, can they figure these defenses out? Can they adjust to this? Is it more than the play calling? What's going on with this offense? Why are they only putting up this many points? Can they get to 30? I think you can use last year as a comparison just a little bit because they did take it easy early on in the season, but Joe was coming off an injury that they finally let Joe cook. They let him loose and then they were able to get in the 30s. And I think this offense just needs a breakout game overall. We've talked about the run game. We've talked about the wide receivers. Um, You know, you still have two star receivers out there and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase, even if T Higgins can't go, you want him out there. But if he can't go, you still have playmakers on this team, including tight end Hayden Hurst. I just feel like this offense is just lacking some of the confidence. There's far too much talent on it to be where they're at right now. Yeah, look, I what I think is just the offense hasn't until they need to, they haven't felt comfortable with just dumping those 10 yard balls down dump down, dump down, dump down, and just take eight to 10 yards every play until they need to. They've shown they can do it because that's what they do every time at the end of games when they go get that what should be game-winning score like it was this week. But um, when it's just a normal situation in a tied game or maybe they're up, they just – 
they want to look for that big play. And I get it because the offense feels bottled up. But when the defense is selling out to stop it, you just have to hammer them underneath until they can come up and they respect that underneath stuff. Because I'm talking about the offense being impatient. Eventually the defense is going to get impatient with, I'm tired of giving up first, giving up eight yards on first down and then giving up a first down, second down, giving up a first down on first down. Like we're moving backwards. I want to go make a play or I want to, you know, we need to move up and take away what they're hitting us with. We can't just let them keep gaining eight to 10 yards every play, which that's a huge game. Eight to 10 yards is great. That's if you think of it all as run game, that's great. Um, Pass game, whatever. It's fine. But run game, that's great. So to me, it's just you have to make them respect everything underneath to be able to open that shot up over the top. I don't know. It's like I've talked about before where we kind of make this game sometimes way more complicated than it really is, where it's, hey, defense is going to try to sell out deep, take underneath. If they ever come up, now you can hit them. Even when they're too high, one high, three high, whatever, when they come up, that's when you're able to hit them. Even when they're playing too high and stuff, this is when Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, whoever – hits these guys because the safety comes up to 10 yards and then he can't match the receiver going vertical or whatever it is. The corner's playing press, even though it's too high and you're able to get behind him. The too high part isn't as important to me as it is that they are dropping the heck out of there and they are trying to limit everything deep. Look, I know two and three is not a great start. You look at the Cowboys game, you look at week one, a game that I think is more painful than all of the losses right now, and then Baltimore. But I will say this, just some inspiration. I know they lose in the AFC Championship game. The Kansas City Chiefs started last year two and three. Everybody thought they're falling apart. They're not going to be able to do it, and they still make it all the way to the AFC Championship game just to lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. So go ahead. You're going to say something. And – I don't know if anybody remembers, but everybody was saying Patrick Mahomes can't figure out cover two back yep. for the Chiefs. Guess what happened? They got it figured out. I think the Bengals will be fine. I think eventually they're going to either get the run game or the underneath game enough to get these guys to come up. So I'm pretty optimistic still about the offense, even though they have shown me not much to be that way. See, this is what we do. We'll just talk about everything, all the bad, all the good. We'll have power rankings, but we're going to always end our podcast with some positive news. If you if they start losing a lot of games, it's going to be really hard to be optimistic. But right now, two and three on the season, we are still optimistic. This is an optimistic ending to our podcast. And you have plenty online over on your Twitter page, Bengals underscore Sands. What is on all Bengals this week? I hope you guys like run game because I'm going to talk about the changes they made and the gun run game stuff that they were doing and all the package RPO type stuff. So it's a lot of interesting stuff and it's what they've actually changed in the scheme. And I think it's worth talking about. Go check it out. We'll be back later this week for predictions. I'm already thinking about, am am I going to go against them? Am I taking them again? What am I going to do? I have no clue, but we'll have it all on the preview podcast later this week. Thank you, as always, for listening, downloading. It's always game day in Cincinnati.